Ohio people with Mennonite views, and they're gonna give us some missional news. Ohio Conference Cast. You are listening to Ohio Conference Cast, a podcast dedicated to sharing missional stories and other information about Ohio Mennonite Conference. Welcome to another episode of the Ohio Conference Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Jacob Dotson, and I have with me today a co-host who is... Jared Chase, Sharon Mennonite Church. Yeah, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you and praise you for safe travel. Be with our opportunity here to share about Bangladesh. Call many nerves we may be experiencing. Give us a, a very clear sense of your presence and your direction in our conversation and dialogue. God, we love you. We know that you're sitting with us and just ask that you uh, be before us and be with us, be all around us. We pray these things in your name. And Jared is going to be taking some time to introduce us to our guests that we're really excited to hear from. So Jared, uh, we'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here with Bill and Carol Schumacher. Bill and Carol uh, have been attending Sharon since 2006. Bill came to me late last year uh, with an idea to promote uh, an issue, a, a concern of his, a missional context, a missional concern that he had uh, of the people uh, for the people in Bangladesh. He spent some time there uh, that he'll be able to have an opportunity to share with you uh, very shortly, but he spent some time in Bangladesh around the idea and the concern of arsenic and how it impacts the drinking water very significantly and broadly in that community. Um, so, Bill, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience in Bangladesh, what, this year, but maybe more holistically, back to your first experience there. Sure, sure. I was a young man in my 20s. I had worked, I've been working as a, as a social scientist for a number of years out of college. And then I decided I wanted to have a term of service overseas working with MCC. They sent me to the country of Bangladesh, which is completely surrounded by India very densely populated country, 165 million people, right, currently, country the size of Iowa. So it's very densely populated. To put that in perspective, that's like taking approximately half the population of the U.S. and moving it into Iowa. Wow. (laughs) Uh, I was there as an agronomist. I was helping, I was doing some cropping trials. uh, So I did that for three years, and I came home. But then I, I, I got involved with life here. I got married to Carol, had kids, went and became an environmental scientist and worked with my state environmental agency for 25 years. But last three years ago, about two, 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 about two years ago now, uh, I was reading about, about Bangladesh in our local church news, uh, MCC uh, newsletter. And I heard about uh, this issue with arsenic in the water of Bangladesh many years ago, uh, maybe 20 years earlier, 19 years earlier. It was a huge problem then, but I thought it would be taken care of, the experts are on it, it would be taken care of. They were talking about Bangladesh, and how a lot of good work has been done there, and I said, what about the arsenic issue though? And I looked up online, I did some research online, and I was very dismayed to learn that there's still 43,000 people per year dying from it, and that's been going on for 20 years. 15 years, so hundreds of thousands of people have died. There are many people that are dying from cancers caused by excess arsenic in their system, rare lung 
problems, heart problems. Uh, that a lot of people are disabled. Uh, children have their mental capacity lowered because they're drinking, uh, they're, they're drinking just arsenic-laden water. And about 20 million per year, 20 million people still are affected by this here. And I just felt like I need to do something about this here. Bill, how, how does the arsenic get into the drinking water that they're experiencing? It's very, that's a good question, and a lot of people ask that. Uh, most of the soil, Bangladesh is a big flat delta area uh, on, the, on the north side of the Bay of Bengal. And all, uh, all, most of their soil and water comes from the Himalayas. Over the eons, uh, millennia, uh, the water comes down those Himalayas, roaring down these Himalayas, very steep slopes, and, and deposits us in Bangladesh, in these big, huge rivers, humongous rivers, and those flood periodically. The soil is, that soil from the Himalayas is very high in naturally occurring arsenic minerals, and it's, a, it's associated with these soil particles. And then there's, soil chemistry is pretty complex, but just to simplify it, uh, when that water is withdrawn, Chemical, those soil particles go undergo a chemical reaction and that arsenic becomes available. So they had all these wells coming in, drawing up uh, water, and their chemical reactions are occurring, uh, causing uh, that arsenic to become available to, to uh, and be dissolved in water as well. And so I know you and I have talked about this a lot over the last couple of months. There is a, a threshold of what's allowed. In so ba- Bangladesh uses an older standard of 50 parts. Standard, great word. Safety standard of 50 parts per billion. Most of the world uses 10 parts per billion. In some areas of the country, there are wells testing in the hundreds and even thousands of parts per billion. So, so I went back to Bangladesh this last February, March. Uh, we, I was working with a co-worker. He used to work with me at MCC many years ago. Now he's working in missions there. He and me did a survey together. He's fluent in Bengali. I don't know Bengali anymore. We were around these different villages. In the, one of the hardest hit areas where uh, MCC used to work at. Almost to a, a single well, we were finding arsenic uh, levels from 100 uh, parts per billion to 1,000 parts per billion. Mm-hmm. And we found people who were being affected by it. They didn't realize they were being affected by it. This is, this is why 43,000 people, arsenic is incredibly poisonous. It works slowly, it doesn't have any smell, it doesn't have any taste. It's, it's, a, it's a humongous project that's killed oh, close to a million people probably. Yet very few people know about it because it's one of those, does, it's a slow-acting one. Uh, its symptoms mimic other diseases like uh, bloating or headaches. A lot of diseases have these uh, symptoms. It's very easy for people who are working with a lot of different uh, problems to put this on the back burner because nobody's, nobody yells about it. It doesn't have a big speaking will. It is by far the most dangerous problem, one of the most dangerous problems in, 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 in Bangladesh. To put it in perspective, it has killed more people than all the cyclones that have hit Bangladesh since it uh, became a country in 1971. Hmm. And they've had a lot of cyclones. <clears throat> and you're talking about, so you talked about that, the, the space of Iowa, right, as a, as a comparison. Yeah. And water is impacting that entire space for, how many people did you say? 165 million. 165 million. In, in the country, they 
the, the northern part of the country doesn't have the arsenic deposits yeah, so much, but and the er, early work when this was first discovered in the 1990s, they got deeper wells in some areas that tapped into an aquifer that was not contaminated, um, and did different things that not as many people are as exposed as used to be, but there's still 20 to 40 million, depending so, on safety so, standards so, you're using. So, so, you, can, so you can see that... Uh, Mostly in the southern part now. So it's the third part, here's the third part of the country. Those red areas that I'm showing you, the audience can't see this, but the red areas are where the wells are. 80% or more of the wells in that area are contaminated with high levels of arsenic. Yellow is 60 to 80%. So you can see how much trauma there is going on in Thunder Bangladesh there. And, and so, and, and I've thought about this a lot since we started talking about all of the impacts to daily life. Drinking water, cooking, crops. Water's being used during the dry season <coughs> to irrigate crops. Yeah, so it's getting yeah that's another thing. Also. The, 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 the rice crops are being very heavily irrigated with well water now. Mostly well water. Some surface water, but well water. So, the rice is one crop that takes up more are stickier than about any other crop, and 85 75% of our country's calories come from rice. So it's multifaceted. I mean, um, it's impacting yeah. every. Yeah, and, and also that well water is going on the soil, and it is it is uh, excess arsenic in the water, which is reducing yields of crops. So yes, this one is it's very complicated. But the main thing is the is the drinking water. That's that's yeah. the most direct. Because it, the climate is naturally pretty warm, right? Very warm, yeah. Outside workers, drinking water, yeah, to stay hydrated. Yeah, yeah largely rural, rural farmers. So these guys, these guys work there. outside in their crops, and they drink a lot of water. The women folks stay more inside in the shaded, they have these shaded areas where their bar, their homes are. So this tends to men folks tend to die earlier than the women do, leaving them very deeply impoverished. Mm. And it's affecting, There's not social safety net for widows and, and orphans. And it's affecting most of poor people because the more educated people, people have means can afford ways to get around this arsenic or have a knowledge of it. The poor people oftentimes don't have a real knowledge of it and don't have the means to get it. So it's very much, and there's a large part of the southern area, the rural areas are very, very, very so it's a cycle that perpetuates itself over. Yeah, that's correct. That's very good. That's a good point. Good point. Very good point. Mm-hmm. So, so Bill, why Bangladesh? I mean, you gave us the facts. You gave us the what your interest is, but why? What's the why for Bill and Carol? Bangladesh became a country in 1971, right? Mm-hmm. And MCC started working there pretty much right from the beginning. It was one of their biggest programs in Bangladesh for many years. And a lot of the work was in this area that's the most heavily hit. When it was first discovered, the arsenic contamination of the wells, they had a small mitigation program early on, but a lot of MCC's programs have been downsized over the years, and currently they're working mostly in the north where arsenic isn't isn't an issue. Because MCC worked for so many years in that area, it really feels like Mennonites have a big tie to that part of that country. Uh, We live in Columbus, Ohio. We actually met a man in a restaurant in Columbus. He was a waiter in an Indian restaurant, and Bill thought he looked like he might be Bengali and asked him where he was from. And it turned out that this guy had actually been on national staff with MCC for a time when Bill was in Bangladesh, and they had met once. You know, you get small world moments, and there's quite a historic connection 
with a really badly hit part of the country. Yeah, it, it's, it's personal to me. Uh, I was there for three years, and I thought, what happened if my own children were going under suicide? I would do everything I could to help that problem here. It occurred to me, well, Bill, these people are just like your children. They are just as important as your children. You should be doing something about it. I remember that thought coming in my mind. As being a Christian, I've been, I've been exposed to different passages. One of the largest ones, most significant uh, passages, is the Good Samaritan. When it's a story that's common to everybody, knows everybody about the Good Samaritan. If you think about it, there are there are a couple of religious people who just go right by this man who's Jewish, who got beat up by robbers, and they just go right on and say, well, it's not my problem, they shrug their shoulder. And that's very easy for us to do when we live in this country and we hear stories about this in other countries. We just shrug our shoulders. It's not my problem. I can't do anything about it. And then this one guy who was a, who was a Samaritan, who was an enemy of the Jewish people, he, he took notice, he made a great risk to himself, probably, and, great, uh, and, he, and he took him to an end and promised to pay for him, his uh, care. Jesus told us that we are to be doing that regularly, and I could not escape that. I wanted to. I really wanted to. I wanted to go on with my life. I didn't want to do this, but it wouldn't escape me. Hmm. So, so calling, perhaps you could call it that. We're, I think we're all called to different tasks. Mm-hmm. Not, this is my calling, maybe, but we are all called to different tasks. And just really, we can shrug it off, or we can do it. You know, it, it occurs to me. You know, that we are going to face Matthew twenty-five talks about the goats and the sheep, uh, where the, the sheep were helping those who were sick and ill, and the goats were sort of ignoring them. And it's very apparent that we are going to have to answer to God. I'm not trying to put fear into you, but this is, this is a very it's very true that we will have to answer to God for what we did in this life here. And that's also, you know, and this, this became very real to me mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jacob, what's rolling around in your head? I'm thinking about the, um, the health crisis, but I'm thinking about how it became personal for you through your relationships and your time there. I guess I'm kind of wondering... As our listeners are, are learning a lot about this, what are some ways that they can help and partner with what you're doing? Uh, what are some ways that our conference or either other organizations can step in? Maybe just unpack a little bit for us some of the, the pieces of, of what you're hoping to do as you respond to the crisis. Before that, can we just talk a little bit about, just a few minutes about actually some of the people we saw there? Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. please. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, uh, Oh, we did a survey there. I was doing some testing. There's this little, cute, little four or five year old that's just staring at me, looking at me. The the arsenic level where we were testing was 200 to 600 parts per billion, very high. And they were in all the homes we were testing that was that much. This little girl was almost certainly drinking that much water. And there's a study after study that shows that your uh, just like lead, your your mental ability goes down. And they've done a large study where it shows it affects you later in life. They, long term, long term, the earning power goes down. You can't do skilled jobs like others. There's a cute little girl here, and I know she's being affected. That hit me big. All these kids are being affected by this here in these area. There are 20 million people, as many people as in, are in Appalachia. These people were so eager to have their water tested. They know arsenic was a problem, but they didn't know personally if their wells were tested. We tested their their wells, you know. These guys were very happy to have us test their wells, you know. 
There were also some other people we met. There was we stopped at a little, just a little shop alongside the road that you know sold a few snacks and different things. And an older gentleman there that we talked to, he had sort of the telltale skin spots that show up, dark spots that are related to arsenic poisoning. He had two of his brothers had died from arsenic-related health issues. Another brother was a thought there was a curse on the area, and he moved out of the area because he was afraid to keep living there. The former co-worker that Bill talked about, who now works for a different Christian organization in Bangladesh, worked specifically with an arsenic project more in the southwest for a number of years. You know, he's like, you hear stories like that all the time of, you know, sometimes people are ostracized, especially with the skin stuff. Not everybody gets that, but for people who don't know what's going on, some people might think it's leprosy or something contagious, and they kind of ostracize people that are, that are being affected. Yep. Another, another young man, 20-year-old, who had lung cancer, and the workers, the arsenic program workers that were taking this out in the field, they said, this guy's doctor actually hasn't told him he has lung cancer. They've just told him he has lung problems because they don't want him to give up hope. A 20-year-old who's dying from arsenic poisoning. Just all different ages being affected in so many different ways. So you, talked, you told me about a, a woman that reminded me, reminded you of your mother. Yes. Say, say more about her. Yes. She's in her 60s, and her son-in-law, who was a farmer... Uh, and supporting the family died from arsenic again. He's one of those chief over the hot sun and drink a lot of water. And this was in a village area that had a lot of arsenic issues. And Only about 10 miles from where I built. About 10 miles from there. where I worked at when I was in Bangladesh, bringing mm-hmm. it home. And she shows a picture of her crying. I have a picture of her crying right in front of me here. And she's crying probably because she misses her son-in-law, but also because now there is no breadwinner there. And poor women in Bangladesh do not have a social net. They either have to live with the relatives or they have to go to begging. I saw a lot of women begging when I lived there. They, they're old, they're on Fridays, which is their holy day. The, this is a Muslim country, largely. These women come begging for alms and asking for some rice. They were old widows. Widows are not treated very poorly there. I can, I can understand why she's crying. So, we're talking about one of the most needed resources to the human existence, right? And yeah. to Jacob's point, people are going to be called upon, uh, encouraged, empowered, feel that conviction to get involved. What are you hoping to do in the coming year? 18 months? Yes. Uh, 24 months? What, what's, what's the future look like, both immediate and long-term, and how can people come alongside you? Well, obviously, we cannot solve this problem, but we can help a little bit of it. And that's, that's true for a lot of what a Christian does. You're not solving the world. We can't solve the whole problem, but we can do a little bit for a certain slice of that population. You know? That's what the church is all about, really. And, and so we're hoping to set up a, a, a program, a project, working with uh, two, organiza- two Christian organizations that have expressed interest in this here. We can do a project, for a three-year project, where... Four things are happening. We're testing water. We're providing builders, which is a it's a way to give clean water for people to drink. And pretty inexpensive. Yeah. Really a household fill that lasts three to seven <coughs> years, even potentially more, costs like twenty five dollars. 
That's a lot of money for a household, uh, for a household. But uh, subsidizing filters. Yes, yeah, that's So you can eat, and, and the one way, and then there's, let me finish here, there's medical treatment and also education, educa education about, because a lot of people are social ostracized because of, of, of this uh, problem here. Those four things have been, this, this organization called SEM, which is a Christian organization where works around the world and has had our state route for 20 years. Is they have a very effective project with those four things. Try to keep it simple. A project in the southwest. Keep We're it. hoping to move more into south central or southeast with a similar project. Yeah, and and it costs eighty thousand dollars for three years for project. That's only the cost of a salary. Uh, the church can church supports a pastor oftentimes on, on an eighty thousand dollars a year with benefits and salary. We can do. We can work at three years, helping hundreds of thousands of people. For that there. Money goes a lot further in a third world country like Bangladesh. And we can test water. If one thing to do when you have arsenic poisoning, the only cure really is to drink lots of clean water. And these filters will give that opportunity. So it will save lives, even if you have arsenic poisoning sometimes. And then medical treatment, giving people uh, medical treatment early diagnosed with early stages of, of a perhaps of, of arsenic poisoning, just a medical treatment and they get them on clean water. And it can get these kids clean water in a household so that their IQ is not going down. Okay, so that's a lot of information. How how do they connect directly to Bill Schumacher? Or who, who so, do they connect directly so to? So Bill put together a website that has a lot of information. Of so you can learn more information and see some of the pictures, see some maps and so on. ArsenicBangladesh.com It's fairly easy to remember. Which I um, think we can tied to the link of the podcast, correct? Yes, yes, we can definitely share that. And are you open to speak to other congregations or other interested oh, parties? We are, we Absolutely. are. We, you know, we, we have $80,000. We are not experiencing fundraising. You need $80,000. We don't have you, it. You don't have it yet. I don't have it. I, I do not want to think we buy a life supply on this here. I don't have to. I think, I think the church is an important place for people bringing up a concern like this here. And we get people to work together on it, you know. I think it's really important to name Bill. I think knowing how passionate you are about this project, if it came to you paying for it, you'd probably do it. But you want partners, right? You want people to come alongside and be involved with you. We well, want prayer. We want partners, yeah. And also, I mean, we're doing initial three-year. Ideally, we'd like to keep it going longer than that and or expand into a larger area if possible. It has the potential for getting bigger you know, if it goes well. Multiplication <laughs> thinking, I, I love I, that. I here. think a lot of churches help, a number of churches helping. Too much money for any one church to do. Sure. Number of churches Four helping. individuals, yeah. And, yeah. We're, and, we're, and we're, we're targeting uh, Mennonite churches because this is a concern that started with a Mennonite, where Mennonites were helping in this area here. I just feel Mennonites. And we're lifelong Mennonites, so I just feel it's kind of where we. I, Fit and know people. I, also. I think I think I think they have a lot of common ground here. So. And for now, donations are being funneled through Sharon Mennonite Church. So donations can be made to Sharon Mennonite, and just Bangladesh Water on the memo line could flag yeah. it. And then once we get details of the project finalized, we'll share that with the Christian group that we're going to be working with on actually feet on the ground, okay. putting the project into practice. And if there's questions, we can give our email, and we can also give our telephone numbers. We give our personal telephone numbers that people can call, give us a call. I think that, too, can go on the website, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, 
I find your work very inspiring. And as you were talking earlier about scripture, I keep thinking about how often um, the gift of water in scripture and, and even mm-hmm. Jesus' own example of water as a, a representative of his life that he gives is so essential. And so um, I think our listeners will will agree with me when we say that what you're doing is vital and it's inspiring because it, it touches deeply on what we all need as humans and in a spiritual sense, um, what, what our Lord calls us to, to, to participate in. Uh, I would just like to say one more, uh, a larger perspective on this. Uh, Muslim-Christian relationships are very important in our world. A large part of the world's uh, population is Muslim as well as Christian, or, or influenced by Christian and Muslim. How do you influence a country where the Muslim population is in the majority for, for a positive way? both in relationship and also sharing your faith. It's not by going out and handing tracts that you can't do that in Bangladesh anyhow. If you can have a project like this here, and we were warmly received when I was there, I think going there and doing a project like this, especially by a Christian organization, and the two organizations we have are very Christian, sets up a very good, starts building seeds for the future, developing good, warm relationships, and showing what Christians are made of. So I think that's a, one way to indirectly bring the gospel to people. So I think people need to know that projects like this are very important, just not from a humanitarian point of view, but also from a very spiritual point of view. Christianity is not going to uh, thrive in areas unless we have showing our love of Jesus to others. And that's the way Jesus often showed his love for people, too, was practical, everyday means. It's a great mic drop moment, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, and so, uh, once again, we want to thank you, Bill and Carol and Jared, for being here for this episode of the Ohio Conference Cast, and for all of our listeners, and even possibly viewers, if we're doing a video version, thank you for spending time to learn about today's topic, and we invite you in the days and weeks ahead to consider plugging in where you feel led and, if possible, connecting further with Bill and Carol. Thank Thanks you. for the opportunity. It's our pleasure. Happy to do it. So until next time. Ohio people with Mennonite views and they're gonna give us some missional news. Ohio Conference Cast. Thank you for listening to another edition of Ohio Conference Cast. We would love to hear from you. Our email is ohioconferencecast at gmail.com. Ohio Conference Cast is brought to you by the Ohio Conference Leadership Team, along with Norm Sohar, sound engineer, Megan Sohar, voiceover, Ann Lehman, publisher, and our many guests and listeners. <laughs>